Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's Q&As. Um, hopefully, I'm going to have this up on podcast services soon. I think. Maybe. I started switching everything over and the weekly Q&As, the weekly roundup, and any audio podcast or really anything that could be audio only enjoyed should be available on there. Um, but as with everything involving retro RGB, there's always bumps in the road when we try to do stuff. So hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, this will be available on all major podcast services. And if not, maybe by next week. I don't know. I hate to commit to stuff because I usually get 90% done with something and then find a hurdle I can't get over and then just put it aside and go back to it. So fingers crossed. Um, if that's the case, though, then the audio onlys will just be available there as soon as they're up. Uh, but I guess one step at a time. Let's hope that I get this working. But for now, let's jump into the Q&As. Starting us out over on the YouTube support page is Scotter140, who said that every time they try to play their SNES through their OSSC, they have to reset phase, and they're definitely saving the setting each time they change it. So um, this has got to be an OSSC-related issue, not your SNES, most likely, unless, I mean, assuming it's the same cables, power supply, everything that you're using, you're not changing up consoles or anything. But assuming it's all the same hardware, this has to be related to something in the OSSC, not your TV, not your SNES, nothing else. Uh, and if that is the case, everything's the same, what I would then ask you to check is, does it do that with a different console? So you plug your Genesis in, you set phase, you power every, save it, you power everything off, you power everything back on, is this phase saved there? Um, but either way, I think the problem is most likely related to like the micro SD card or something. So I would... Uh, Probably try a new micro SD just for the heck of it. Find yourself a cheap two gigabyte one uh, or, or just reformat yours, whatever you think. But definitely do a full clean of it. Um, if you're an IT nerd like me, do into something like or go into disk part and do a clean option so you completely wipe all the partitions. Then use SD formatter and then go and load up first the, uh, the file for the full OSSC firmware and reflash that. Then go and reflash the micro SD card with... Uh, you know, with the profiler. Um, and all of this is in the video. All of this is in the OSSC page on the website. So if you need any reference, definitely go back to that. I'll leave a link here. Um, and I would try it again that way with a fresh firmware, you know, a fresh reload of your profiles and either a reformatted uh, or brand new micro SD card. Although, you know, if you do reformat, once again, make sure to thoroughly clean that card and all the ex uh, extra partitions that may have been on there and then try saving again. And if that doesn't work, um, I don't really know what that could be. I've never heard of that happening uh, unless there's something wrong with the OSSC, but I can't imagine that's the case. So I would start there, both because it's free if you want to restart your, you know, your own the the card that you've already been using, or super cheap if you just need to find another one. But that's what my gut's telling me on this one. Over on Floatplane, Retro Sean said, Thanks for the answer about my Plasma TV and the 5X. I'll try to get a Retro Tink 5X when it's available to me in the future and report the results with 480p. For interest, my Plasma TV supports 1080p, and that's what everything goes to by default. Works well for new consoles and running games on a Windows 10 PC. Running a 480p signal to it from a Wii is generally ugly. I think it's because this TV, the scaler in the TV is optimized for downscaling a 1080p signal to its native resolution. Technically, the native resolution of the panel is actually 768p. I'm planning on upgrading to a 4K TV in the future. Uh, so cool. I think most people with that model plasma would be in the same scenario. So definitely try the 768p mode of the RetroTINK 5X. That should be perfect. Uh, and if you don't mind, if it's not too much trouble, please post back whenever you get a chance to do that. Because it's my guess that the Wii would probably look pretty good in that mode because you're running at the panel's native resolution. And uh, there's even some RetroTINK updates coming up in the next few weeks, probably before you're able to get yours. Um, 
that should even help 480p processing. So while, once again, I would never suggest using 768p mode on any other uh, panel whatsoever, if it's the native resolution, I think this is the perfect scenario. And this way you could send it um, you could have the Tink 5X do all of the processing and just send your TV whatever you get. And there's potential for there to be less lag. I haven't seen it too much where running the native resolution makes a big difference, but uh, I'm going to get back into new lag testing devices soon. So that's, you know, that's probably a conversation for another day, but thanks for the update. The importer said they've learned to accept CRT geometry issues, but why are the distortions always on the right side of the screen? Uh, funny you say that. Most of the time I see distortion, it's on the left side of the screen, but it's probably just how we calibrate the different patterns and stuff like that. Um, also, depending on what game you're looking at, uh, there are certain NES games where you could see the flashing on one side of the screen that affects the other, but if you have your CRT calibrated the right way, um, you might not see it. It might just overscan. Uh, and lastly, you asked, why is it mostly with games after the fourth gen era, like uh, like Saturn, that you would notice this stuff. Um, so this all comes back to basically overscan and resolution of each game. So the first part of your question is that uh, I don't know if it's game-related or CRT-related, but I would think that if it's CRT-related, you could line up 100 CRTs and they would all even out where some would have more distortion on one side, some would have it on the top, some would have it on the right. Um, but if you're actually talking about the distortion you see on the screen as a result of the games, that has to do with resolution and a lot of the tricks that the game developers would use in order to to make these games work. I, there's a video I keep forgetting, I've seen it at least twice, that shows why there's a flicker in Super Mario 3. It's a really great description of how that works. Um, and... So that's part of it. And the other part is as the generations moved on, they were able to fill more of the screen with more information. So a Sega Master System game will not fill the screen top to bottom or left to right at all. And then by the time you get to the Saturn, it will fill the screen at the very least left to right, and you'll see data throughout all of it. So if there's distortion in the CRT, you're going to notice it more because there's more of the game area there, as opposed to the Master System where there might just be a blue border. So you might not even notice distortion at all. But it's just basically the stuff that you're normally going to run into with CRTs. And, uh, and, you know, as far as the overscan stuff, even if you use a scaler that doesn't cut the overscan off, you're still going to see that on your flat panel. So for me personally, this is just stuff I've, uh, I've just learned to appreciate as part of the original weird analog experience. And if you have the patience, you could always just adjust your CRT every time you switch uh, games with a different resolution. So like SNES, Super Nintendo, uh, um, or SNES... Um, regular NES and uh, even Turbo Graphics might have the same type of calibration, whereas Genesis and Saturn might not have slightly different width. So you could deal with it uh, per game or per resolution, I guess, or you could just kind of accept it for what it is. That's what I've done. I calibrated mine so that 256 uh, pixel games pretty much fill the screen and 320 pixel games end up cutting off a little bit but it's a happy medium and it's for me it's just part of the crt experience marco vizzini said it was great to watch my life and gaming's downscaling video and your lag assessment well done thank you marco uh was that the downscaling video you were intending on making or are you still making your own um i am probably not going to make my own. That was the one I was intending on making. And the video was pretty much what you saw there, plus with um, footage of a camera pointed at a CRT to show the differences, to show things like when you put it through something like uh, an Extron box that allows you to raise or lower, uh, you could see where it lines up, kind of like I showed in the Retro Tank 5X video. But the number one reason I didn't finish that is to truly show... The, the exact differences I would really need to film a CRT in the best way possible. And it's impossible to do that in my current setup. I'm going to need to move. I've been looking for uh, houses in the burbs, not in Manhattan. Every time I mention moving, there's always this naughty comment like, good luck buying a house in Manhattan. There's no houses in Manhattan. <laughs> I'm looking to move in the burbs somewhere. And then I'm looking for a basement that I could just kind of build a fake room around it uh, with like black walls or that fake felt material and, and really have a, a good place to shoot CRTs. And I'm also still looking for cameras. Um, 
Uh, I get a lot of recommendations, and I mean this with love and respect. Thank you so much for all the recommendations, but I'm looking for pro-level gear and a pro-level lens. Even if I have to rent it uh, once a year to do stuff like this, you know, if it ends up being like a $100,000 movie camera, it's not going to cost a fraction of that to rent it. So, uh, But that's really the number one thing, and that's one of the main reasons why the Getting Started video series uh, hasn't been done, because I can't demonstrate the things I want to demonstrate and also because it's going to take a week to shoot this stuff and I can't I can't not live in my apartment for a week while all this stuff is set up so that is definitely a part of it but the other part too is once I started using the retro tinks downscaling I just kind of thought it blew away most of those other solutions still love the gbs control for price and and the whole community open source factor i think it does a great job and i still love the super emotions just for their plug it in it works type of thing but they're so expensive and there's it's hard to figure out unless you've seen them in person before it's hard to really figure out which is the one that's compatible with 240p downscaling i believe the super emotion 2 is not so overall i really just thought you know, the RetroTink 5X has, has taken, at least in my opinion, taken the lead by far and is cheaper than so many of those other solutions. So I just, I don't think I'm going to be going back to a downscaling video until, uh, or really even a video that concentrates on CRT shots until I'm in a place that I could actually do good CRT shots. I'm always so annoyed at how mine look uh, till I have a camera or lens that I could rent, borrow, or buy that'll actually make it look good and make it the true representation of what you'd see in person or as good as you could in a video uh, and when the next-gen solutions come out. So maybe this time next year, I'm going to take the OSSC Pro, the RetroTINK 5X, the Morph, and the GBS Control and put those all uh, you know, do a shootout of those and show the differences and then do that kind of downscaling video. Um, but that's kind of my thoughts on it. There was a lot more to your question, though, so I interrupted you. Let me just continue. Have you tried the Extron downscaling method using a VSC to turn anything HD into 480i or P and then passing that to an interface, to uh, an RGB XI interface to pseudo downscale into 240p? Uh, that never really worked for me. Um, I tried it back when I was living in Connecticut before, and uh, I spent a lot of time on it, and I could just never get it working. Also, uh, I didn't, I don't remember if Corey put it in the video, because what I sent, uh, he edited what I sent him in a good way. I mean, he made it flow better and everything, but I also showed what would happen when you put two of those downscalers together, and the, you know, it was basically like four frames of lag at that point, so... It's. I remember at some point somebody was saying they were using, I believe it was the VSC, to downscale 1080p to 480p, and then using the, uh, the Super Emotion to go to 240p, and it just was very laggy, and it's not something I would suggest. Um, so, honestly, if you're going from 480i down to 240p, the GBS control of the RetroTINK 5X are probably the way to go. Um, they're not perfect. I was just talking with uh, with My Life in Gaming about this in that when I tried the Wii, I thought it looked amazing. And when they tried the PS2, they thought it was a little flickery going from two, or 480i to 240p. So I got to go back and double check all of that. But either way, I can't imagine it's worse than any of the other solutions. So it's kind of like a probably more of a detailed answer than you were looking for, but that's the full story of what happened to the downscaling video. I think Corey did a great job, especially because he just approached it from the, hey, we're just going to talk about what downscaling looks like and why we would want to do it. We're not going to obsess about aspect ratio or perfect camera shots or anything. We're just going to walk you through what this feels like. So I, I thought that was the perfect way for both of us to you know combine forces to get this out. And in the future, I'll go back and, and redo it with the modern stuff. Uh, and yeah, and for 480i downscaling, I would definitely stick with stuff like, you know, the GBS control and the RetroTINK 5X. Hector Santana said, Bob from RetroRGB equals the channel called RetroRGB, as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, maybe I didn't do a good enough job explaining it last week. I saw a couple of comments like that. This will always be called Retro RGB. The channel will, the website will, as far as, you know, I mean, unless something crazy happens, that will always be Retro RGB. It's just the social media accounts, the support accounts, that's the stuff that I, I didn't really understand. You know, RetroRGB.com, the, you know, the podcast, the YouTube channel, everything surrounding it will always be that. I just didn't know if I should separate myself personally from the other stuff, social media, support stuff, 
Um, but I mean, I'm just leaving it well enough. I'm leaving well enough alone for now until somebody comes up with a better idea. Uh, I just had another one of those like, you know, pay me a lot of money to teach you how to do better on YouTube meetings. And uh, they came right out and said, yeah, we're, we're not going to help you with any of that stuff. You're on your own figuring that out. So I'm just going to leave it alone for now because I genuinely have no idea what I'm doing. And it sounds like most people don't either. So yeah, so everything's going to continue the same moving forward. But at some point, I'm going to have to address the me on social media and me in the support service versus retro RGB as a whole. And I'm just going to keep procrastinating until I have to, until something happens positive or negative that, that makes me separate that. I just don't, I just don't want to hurt anything in the process, you know, algorithm numbers. I don't want to make anybody look bad, whatever else. So yeah, I'm just kind of plugging away on this one. Barabob wants to know if AV receivers introduce lag when placed between a game system and a screen. I could see how it could vary between products, but is there a rule of thumb to go by? Um, if your receiver has a game mode, you should be okay. If not, you really need to use some kind of lag testing device in order to test it. Uh, I love my Time Sleuth. I use this thing all the time. Uh, there's other options available now, too. You could always split a signal with a CRT if you want to go crazy with that stuff. But you're going to want to double check. Because uh, I've not only have I heard some of them have zero milliseconds of lag, so zero lag, but I've also heard that those can normalize a signal. So if your TV wasn't normally compatible with, say, the OSSC in 5X mode, it might be now. But I've also heard of these receivers adding two, three, four frames of lag because they're really just meant to upscale video signals. So you got an old DVD player, you got an old Blu-ray player that you're sending to 4K, it'll take care of that for you, but it's not meant for games. Um, or I guess some of them have an HDMI port labeled game where it automatically puts that into game mode. So you would just have to double check. Uh, the manual is always the first place to start. If you have a time sleuth or lag testing device like it, that's even better than the manual because you could see for yourself. So it's just something that you would really want to test and make sure on an individual basis. Great question from AJ Haberak. It's a bit on the longer side, so I'm going to skip to the answer respectfully. Uh, but basically, when it comes to things like vintage audio hardware, um, are there any preservation efforts in the midst in order to turn those into FPGA and... Is there a place to go to talk about this, forums or communities, and what can you do to preserve them? So what can you do to preserve them is the same with pretty much all electronics. You know, make sure it's not super humid or super dry. Uh, pop them open and check for cap leakage. Um, look very closely. Use a flashlight, magnifying glass if you have one, or one of those magnifying glass helmets, and make sure that the capacitors aren't leaking onto the board. Uh, if so, look into doing a cap replacement. If not, you know... Doing a cap replacement is never really a bad thing, but you've got to make sure that you use the exact correct capacitors, especially with audio equipment. You don't want to use some cheap one when you're supposed to have an audio-grade cap there. So as long as there wasn't leaking, I'd probably leave well enough alone, but as soon as you saw any sign of some gunk coming out underneath one of them, I would, I would really work on, if it's a piece that's important to you, of course, I would try to work on replacing the caps. As far as preservation, yeah, the Mr. Project has already integrated a bunch of stuff. And in fact, the um, I believe they did an audio podcast, a live podcast on their Discord channel about one of the MIDI preservation devices they worked on. And there's a lot of stuff that's being implemented that way. And with programs like MD Fourier, you're not only able to have a pretty good archive you know in Verilog or, or VHD of this stuff but you could also verify it against the originals using the methods that have been tried and tested in order to make sure it really is an accurate recreation of the original um, so that's something that I think I think all of this stuff I would love to see grow and more people you know throw their their hats in the bin and, and contribute to this stuff I don't know specifically of any communities, but I know they exist because I had friends link to me, uh, link me to stuff like that before. So I guess, you know, I would start with the, the Mr. Discord and see if anybody there is working on anything or needs any hardware or pictures of hardware or stuff like that. Um, but overall, I mean, it's, it's something that I do think is important and a heck of a lot of fun. And I just think all of this preservation stuff would be cool if it grew into something bigger <coughs> because, you know... It, 
you're never going to know which one ends up being the most important, you know, quote unquote, most important. And it's always funny to see things like people will reverse engineer something and one piece of that ends up getting used in many other cores. So, you know, having an archive of this stuff is a good idea and it might even end up helping things outside of, you know, whatever focus it actually is. So it's something that I think is very awesome. Uh, and in fact, there's even a post that I just wrote this morning about uh, a new device that puts a YM2612 on an FPGA chip that is a drop-in replacement for a 2612. It's got the same pinout and everything. So I'm also really looking forward to seeing more stuff like that because you could theoretically revive aging hardware with broken parts with stuff like that. So I do I love the crossover of a modern implementation as well as using modern stuff to get older stuff working. So it's a cool question. I, I just think it's something that, you know, I hope grows, but it is absolutely in progress. Raceroni says that they have a SCART cable for the PlayStation 1 that's sync on Luma and want to know if it's safe to use on their PlayStation 2. Um, so there is a component difference. I believe the PlayStation 1 has capacitors on it and the PlayStation 2 one doesn't need capacitors or vice versa, but this is not a safety issue. You might get some weird artifacting on screen on the PlayStation 2, um, but it's not a power or safety thing. There's never going to be a component that, that dies because of this or anything like that. Um, doubling up on the caps not may not necessarily be a good thing for the image, but I I seriously doubt there would ever be any worry of safety so you can go right ahead and use it if you see something that's off just know you know flickering or something like that just know it's the cable i believe my life in gaming mentioned this in one of their episodes uh, but i i've ended up having to do that all the time for testing uh, and it, it doesn't really affect too much of it depending on the game that you're playing and stuff like that there is a version of the cable that'll work on both i believe steve from hd retrovision figured out if you use a specific type of capacitor you could use it on both with with zero signal problems and if you could solder you could probably uh, pop open that cable and swap the capacitors out for that one um, i don't know if i have a link to that though I completely and totally forgot, and I don't know if that's something I ever posted on the website. So if you see a link next to the question here, I found it. And if not, you're going to have to do some creative Googling. I'm sorry about that. Uh, and thank you very much for the kind words. Really appreciate it. Heinrich is looking to potentially pick up a RetroTINK 5X to replace their OSSC for use with PAL consoles on a 1080p Plasma. Um, and they have a few questions related to that. So how would it handle 288p signals of PAL consoles? Um, I honestly have no PAL equipment to test. I had a PAL Genesis motherboard. I don't know what happened to it. I think I left that at a friend's, and I'll, I'll try to figure out how to get that back. But uh, And, you know, I wanted to include PAL stuff, but it was a 40-minute video, and I didn't have any access to anything else. So I just figured there's going to be some awesome people over in Europe that could do reviews from a PAL perspective. I, I'd just rather leave it up to them than try to talk about stuff I, I don't really know much about. But the good thing about the RetroTINK 5X is if you just use it in its default mode it's going to look fine. You know, it'll scale to the height of 1080p. It won't be an integer scale, but it's a good job. Uh, most people wouldn't even notice, to be honest with you. And then as with all of this stuff, I would just recommend trying all the modes and seeing what looks best. Um, I, I mean, you never know. Heck, 480p output on a 1080p plasma might look better for 3D games because of the soft scale. You never know. Probably not, but you know, it's just one of these things where I would I would flip through the modes and see what looks best to you. Um, I've heard some people say with some PAL games, overscanning to 1080p over or 5x cuts off a little too much, but I don't know. I, I've had amazing results with that, so I would just kind of give that a try. Um, another question: Does the Tink 5x have an automatic port detection or input switching? No, you have to manually switch it, but it's one button on the remote, so it's not too bad. And also, does the automatic phase detection extend whether a console outputs PAL or NTSC? Yeah, because the way the phase works is by oversampling, so it should work perfect with PAL signals. Uh, once again, I mean, I, I can't confirm for you, I'm sorry, but it, it should it should work fine. Now, whether you're going to get an upgrade over running the OSSC in generic mode, because you say, you know, you uh, never really used the phase stuff for it. I don't really know. I mean, that's uh, if you like new toys like I do, and you want to try this thing out and see, um, it's probably a worthy upgrade. But 
if you're just leaving the OSSC in generic mode and you end up leaving the RetroTINK 5X in generic mode, they they both are going to be pretty similar. And if it's already compatible with your TV, I don't know. That's kind of up to you to decide. Uh, but I guess if your TV is not compatible with the OSSC in 5X mode, that would kind of make the decision for you. But if it is, you could test a lot of this 5X stuff now just by you know, dialing it in and seeing what happens and seeing if it, there's a lot of cutoff. But overall, a lot of this stuff is just try and see what looks best to your eyes. So hopefully I answered the question good enough. And uh, thanks for the kind words at the beginning. Couple of questions from Zags regarding the RetroTINK 5X. Uh, first, with so many streamers buying these products, why have we not seen a solution with dual output HDMI? That is a very simple answer. Most people that don't use that wouldn't want to spend the extra 20, 30, or 40 dollars it would cost to integrate all of that stuff into it, um, especially when you could just buy one for 15 bucks on Amazon or something like that. So, um, you know, I do have links to the Amazon store to the ones that I've used. Some people have had issues with them, but I've had great luck with mine. And I just, I 100% agree with the people who make these and that don't jack the price up for everybody just to have something that. Uh, a few people would really use. And it's the same with like the RetroTINK 5X uh, and some of its features and inputs. Just adding all of those extra inputs when nobody else would need them is probably not the best thing when you're looking for a cost-effective product. Next, do you think we'll see orientation-switched SCART cables due to the RetroTINK 5X design? Or is something uh, not obvious a big stop for this? I don't think so. Uh, I just think... That vertical stand I posted about uh, was more than good enough for people that want wire management. I think the flat cable works totally fine as well. Um, but I also think, uh, I also think that people are going to come up with creative solutions for that. You also mentioned designing a box to to put everything into. What I would really like to see, and I, I've talked about this with friends. I don't know if we're going to make it happen, but I would love to see a box that. Well, actually, here I have my RetroTank 5X right next to me, so I could even show you. Sorry for anybody listening audio only, but the, the vertical stand here is pretty cool. Check out the post on it if you want to see how the wire orientation works. However, with this SCART port on the side, I think it would be amazing to slide this into a dock that looks like a Sega CD1. So you slide it into the side. Uh, in the front, you could even make it look like a Sega CD. And if you're super creative, you could have the front flap down and store the remote inside. And on the back you'd be able to break out SCART, VGA, and even composite video and audio uh, and use the same open source SCART or VGA to SCART design that should be released fairly soon, within weeks, I would hope, or at least pre-orders open within weeks. So you could essentially make yourself a device that, you know, snap plugs in, now you look like a Genesis and Sega CD combo, but it's actually a dock that has all of these outputs on the side. And once again, you know, maybe I'm just dreaming here, but having something so you could slide the the remote into the dock as well just to you know just as a carrying solution for it i think that would be my my favorite solution with something like that you would only be allowed to have one of those connectors plugged in at the same time or you would have to have a switch because uh, I th think even if you design the circuit so you could have multiple consoles plugged in at the same time, if you power more than one up, you're sending a lot of voltage to everything. So I wouldn't want that. But either only one at a time or a switch built in so it cuts off the signal between inputs, I think would be awesome. Uh, but I, I think that would be my favorite solution. And I think that would uh, be pretty cool for a lot of people as well. Uh, so that's my dream. That's like my unrealistic pipe dream of an adapter that's probably not 3D printable. You probably can't make that with the same materials, although Todd's print on this came out really great, so you never know. But that's certainly my hope for all of that stuff, and that way you don't even have to worry about scar orientation or anything else. Uh, but I don't know if anybody's going to make that happen, so uh, that's just kind of my my hope. Uh, and also, Zeg said, if you're ever looking to find a good import beer, find Grimbergen Blonde. I know I'm pronouncing that first word wrong, but yeah, I'll add that to my list because I absolutely love a good beer. Um, dark beers are my favorite, but I, I really like all of them except for extremely hoppy IPAs. Those are for hipsters with super tight pants. Nathan Hardy said, following up to the question last week about converting component or RGB to composite, they've often seen people using and recommending adapters that convert HDMI to component. Um, 
Now, Amazon and a few other places have similar converters that go from HDMI to composite. Would these be a good workaround, or do they have some flaw like being designed for movies and suffering from bad latency? Uh, you nailed it. So HDMI to component converters are, at least the ones that I link in my Amazon store, are strictly digital to analog converters. They don't do anything except take the digital signal and turn it into analog, which is why there's microseconds of delay. So zero lag, zero lag that a gamer or computers or anything could even notice zero. Whereas going from HDMI to composite, you have to change that signal and they all make it 480i. So if you had a 480p or a 720p signal, it doesn't make that 240p, it makes it 480i. So it uh, absolutely kills anything gaming related and the one i tested also has like four frames of lag which is fine because it's not meant for games at all so um you absolutely nailed it but um i do understand why people would want to do all of this stuff especially with uh, modern or retro games where you're trying to get them to look the right way with the dithering effects and stuff like that but i think to be honest uh you know maybe the next generation of scalers would have stuff in to work with that. And even the mister, one of my favorite features of the mister, as silly as this is, as as unimportant as it is to compare to all of the other amazing things the mister developers have done, but one of my favorite features is that you could play a game, a Genesis game, and only have the correct layer blended as if it were a composite video. So the Waterfall and Sonic, the Clouds and Crusader of Senti, those are my favorite examples because they're so perfect. And I love that because it's the first time you could confidently say that if that's what you're going for, the Mister is a better experience than original hardware because you could out that output that to an RGB monitor. You could have a crystal clear picture, but blurry clouds because that's what they're supposed to look like, clouds. So, um, so yeah, I completely understand why you would want to go down that road, but that type of converter is not the way to go. Uh, and if I ever do figure out how to go HDMI to composite, um, which I think is possible, um, but you're going to see a video and a post and I'm going to make a very big deal about it. This isn't something that'll fall through the, uh, fall through the cracks. If somebody makes this, uh, I'm going to advertise the heck out of it. Cause I think for the reasons you brought up, it's something a lot of people might want. Firebrand X wants to know what I think about unplugging or using a toggle on a power protector to shut off power to consoles like the PS1 that have internal power transformers. Reason I ask is the PS1 gets pretty warm even when not in use, and it's because of that internal power board. I even have to power cycle the console when I unplug it as there's enough stored energy to shock you on those boards. Uh, yeah, I am a full fan of having a toggle switch at the end of my setup. The last time I actually had a whole bunch of consoles all plugged into one was way back when I lived in Stanford, but I did exactly that. I, think, I actually think I still have the, yeah, I have the thing right here one of the advantages of, of working on a desk made of uh, drawers and boxes. But this was the main thing that I used. Uh, this went to all of the different surge protectors, and right here was just the, the kill button. So every time I was done playing, I would just hit that, and it would turn everything off. And I know you're not normally supposed to daisy chain surge protectors, but in the context of what I was doing, I'm still only powering on one or, I guess, three consoles at most in the case of the Tower of Power and maybe some speakers and a TV. So even if I had 30 things plugged in, there's only the same amount that would be plugged into one surge protector anyway. So I was able to run everything through that, kill that power, and you're right, uh, I, I completely forgot about that. And one morning I woke up when I was doing PS1 digital testing, put my hand on the PlayStation and went, holy crap, it's warm. And then I realized they all are because there's no AC power kill switch. Um, so I, I like to do that both because I just don't want phantom power and all this stuff heating up, uh, but also just because it's one more act of protection between power surges or anything else that happens. So I am a big fan of that stuff. Uh, and while I don't think that it's something that you have to do, I, I just think it's good practice. Uh, and if anybody has any reasons why that's a bad idea, please let me know. I've asked this on the Retro Roundtable. I've asked friends that are experts in power, stuff like that. And no one seems to have a single reason why it would be bad. And I can't imagine one either. But you know me, I like to 
double and triple check all of this stuff. But yeah, I'm a big fan of just putting a kill switch at the end of something, especially for things like arcade machines that may have years of dust and gunk built up. Just don't even chance a short in there. Just, you know, main kill switch, turn it on when you're using it. That way if something goes wrong, you're right there to take care of it. Yippo said that they've been playing Tetris on their NES Mini, but the lag and controller stiffness is starting to get to them, and they're looking to try to improve their setup. And this is a, a perfect example of when the NES Mini or the Genesis Mini or all those new emulation consoles are both a good thing and when they've run their course. I'm sure picking up one of those was much easier than dealing with like an RGB NES setup. You've enjoyed it, and now you've decided, okay... I want to play on something more accurate. So, uh, you you know, good job buying it. Good job recognizing when it's time to move on. This is like the perfect scenario that I tell people about when they want to try to use these classic consoles to see how serious they are about gaming on them. So now what do you do? Um, you're obviously going to want to use original controllers and zero lag. So the, anything with the word Retron in it, you could just throw that right out the window. All of their consoles are just laggy as heck. Um, Hyperkin makes good stuff. Not so much their HDMI consoles, though. Uh, so at that point, you have a couple of choices. You could pick up the Retro USB AVS if you want to use original uh, original cartridges on it. I think it's great. It's zero lag. Um, if you match it up with a, a very low latency flat panel, which gaming monitors are super fast these days, it, it would be a really great solution. If you were looking to pick up a Mr. Anyway and you don't need original uh, cartridges, you could pick up a MacGyver controller adapter. They're one millisecond uh, on average of latency. Could be a little, uh, a hair less, a hair more. So I think even for competitive Tetris playing, you could safely call that zero. And if you're using Mr. Uh, configured properly on a low input latency flat panel, you're talking less than four milliseconds of latency, probably more like two so it's still zero even for competitive tetris players the total latency that seemed to affect them on original hardware was when you started to get over eight milliseconds over half a frame so you should be able to have a completely accurate and fast uh you know professional gaming setup through a mister with one of those controller adapters using original controllers plus you know you get the advantage of all the other mister cores but i know that's not for everybody because some people just really like original cartridges i totally understand that so the other thing you could do is get an original nes and you mentioned owning an ossc but then that means you're going to have to buy something else so you're either going to have to rgb mod the original nes or you're going to have to buy uh, something like the Core U transcoder, or you could pick up a retro tank to either just use it that way or use that in pass-through mode to the OSSC, or get a retro tank 5X, which would look the best for composite video. So overall, it's really one of those things where it's like, what's your end goal? If you're somebody who really enjoys collecting original hardware and you're eventually going to get a CRT, maybe just get the original and kind of enjoy it through, you know, as is, I guess. Um, and then eventually look into other options for it. But I really think that if you're somebody that doesn't mind using emulation, the Mister and its hardware emulation is about as cool as it gets. And there's a lot of things that you could do with it that are starting to exceed what you could do with original hardware. Plus, it'll work on a CRT as well. It'll work on a CRT with component or RGB. And through a converter, it'll work through S-Video as well. And that's all zero lag. And then through HDMI, it's incredibly low, if not zero lag, depending on your setup. So uh, I would just kind of consider that. Uh, bonus question, will the Time Sleuth work with a projector? I have no clue, but I have a projector now. I obviously can't put it in an apartment. It's going into storage. Uh, so if I could ever get out of here, I will set that up and I will be the first to test it, I promise. Adam Brady posed a pretty interesting question. Could HDMI be the future for CRT gaming? And there's two answers to that question. Um, in the context of consoles that are getting HDMI mods that then also could output direct 240p, like the CPS HDMI and all of the other stuff like that, um, you could potentially get a signal that's cleaner than direct RGB, especially if it's a console notorious for jail bars or something like that, and then using a converter to convert that just to RGB or component. Theoretically, you could pull off a much cleaner image. And on top of that, you could take all of your retro consoles, mod them all for HDMI, put them all through an HDMI switch, and then have a splitter on the out, one going to either your capture card or TV and the other going to this converter to a CRT. So... Those are all potentially awesome solutions. 
And there's a few good and bad points about all of that, though. Um, in the case of everything kind of falling into place, that should work fine. But there are consoles that could never get an HDMI mod, so you'd end up with an analog to digital converter built into there, which there's nothing wrong with that. But why wouldn't you just use a cable and plug it into a scaler or a RAD 2X or something like that? And on the other side of things, there are some of these HDMI mods that add one to two milliseconds of latency, which, as I always say, should be considered zero for gamers. However, if you're trying to use things like light guns, that won't line up anymore because it's looking for the exact timing. Or if it does line up, you know, that in the 3D games, it might not be exactly perfect. So that could be a detriment if that's something that, you know, that could be an issue for you. But as I talked about, I think last week, I mean, that's the exact setup I would like to have on one of my TVs if I'm ever able to get out of here is, you know, Dreamcast, um, Wii, GameCube, and Xbox, and probably PS2, all HDMI modded, going directly into a CRT with an HDMI input, because I was able to pick one of those up. But that's that's specific scenarios. So it would have to depend on the console, uh, on the mods available, on... You know, on the latency, if you're using light gun games, if not, just that's all zero lag anyway. So it's an excellent question. It's just uh, way too complicated at the moment to be something that uh, that I would worry about for CRTs. Now, on the other hand, if you're doing something like let me HDMI mod these consoles to go into a new scaler that could then scale it to 4K, 8K, whatever is in the future. Yeah, if your goal is a flat panel, which isn't going to work with light guns uh, without something like the Sindon light gun or the new one that JB is working on, then that would be totally fine because then you could take all of your consoles um, that do have true HDMI mods, run them in one to one, let this new scaler that doesn't exist yet you know, add whatever features and scale it to 8K. Now, once again, I'm just kind of being silly and talking about the future. And then whatever consoles are left that are analog only, you could also route that through and, and scale it that way. So um, it's an interesting question. Is HDMI the future for CRT gaming? Um, so I think the honest answer to that is no, but it could be in a specific scenario. However, HDMI mods for retro consoles, I do think if you're an enthusiast that wants to squeeze every little bit of performance out of your consoles, yeah, I mean, I think once you start scaling to 8K, you're going to start to really notice the difference between a digital-to-digital solution and an analog-to-digital conversion that has typical analog noise in it. Noise that you can't really see in 4K unless you're absolutely looking for it, or unless it's like an all-blue screen or something like that. But once you start scaling to much higher resolutions, don't forget that you scale everything. You don't just scale the video, you scale the noise as well. So... Yeah, it's an interesting question. It was fun to ponder, uh, and I guess we're just going to have to wait to see what the future brings us for HDMI mods for retro stuff. Sean Richmond said they're working on bringing a CRT into their setup with S-Video, and was wondering if a powered 4x2 S-Video switch, a shiny bow one, would allow me to output two S-Video signals at the same time, one to a CRT and one to the RetroTINK 5X, without damaging the equipment. Um, if it's a powered shiny bow with two outputs, yeah. 99.99% chance that's perfectly fine. I've used shiny bow equipment before and they do build in the proper circuits. They don't just Y cable it. They actually build everything in. So it should be perfectly fine to use double check as always. But I, my gut's telling me that's a perfect device for exactly this. The other question is, how would I recommend general maintenance and calibration of CRTs to gamers that don't have enough experience to safely work inside a CRT? It would be nice to calibrate it, but I don't want to do something beside my skill set and get into trouble. Uh, the number one easy thing to do is figure out basic, basic geometry. Horizontal and vertical position and size. Stuff that's very easily accessible in VGA monitors, not so much with consumer TVs at all. Uh, sometimes it's a pain to get to in RGB monitors, but in your TV, even if you have to get into a service manual or something, horizontal and vertical size and position is very easy to, to use. And the worst possible thing is you do it wrong and then you just recenter it, move it back, restretch it, you know, just work slowly, you know, make small changes. And I don't think there's any fear in anything. And the other side of that is if you say, okay, I have this awesome CRT someday I'll, I'll have it restored or learn how to restore it myself. But 
you know, right now it's a little off. I want to center the horizontal and vertical. If you do that, you eventually replace the caps and now it's way off. All you got to do is just move the horizontal and vertical positioning again. So I don't think there's there's any fear in messing with that. Whereas a lot of other settings in the service manual, um, you could throw things way off and you might not ever really get it back to perfect. So I, I think that would be by far the the number one thing to recommend is figure out if your TV has H&V controls, even if it's in some kind of hidden service manual or service menu, you have to find the service manual to find that and kind of just go from there. So um, hopefully those are decent tips uh, and thanks for the kind words. Retro Music Dan said they have a virtual office Discord with some friends, but they're quickly running out of screen real estate on their PC. They were wondering about using the GBSC to downscale the group call to a consumer CRT. Uh, Is this a cool or a dumb idea? I think ideas like that are always cool. Even if they don't work, even if it ends up being a silly thing that you do once just for fun. But I'm a huge nerd, so maybe don't take my advice for that one, but... I If I had more time on my hands, I would do stuff like that just to freaking do it, just to see. And uh, I just talked before about HDMI to composite converters not being good for gaming. But I bet it'd be really fun in this scenario. Grab you know, grab your consumer CRT with composite and, and have uh, all of your friends look old school, low res. I, don't know, I think it's neat. So I would give it a try just to see either way. And I think that HDMI to composite converter was like eight bucks on AliExpress or something like that. So it's certainly not going to break the bank trying it. Um, just once again, don't use it for gaming. Um, so they also said they don't have a VGA to SCART solution yet, but they presume something like the sync strike would be directional and not work on the output side of the scaler. Uh, yeah, you would need you would need the combiner. Um, I mean, if you're going to SCART, this is the one to get. This is the one that uh, I talked about last week that, once again, hopefully should be out within a few weeks. Um, the delay at this point, just I know this is not part of your question, but the delay would only be global part shortages type of thing. The project's tested and done. The case, I think, is done, but that those are coming. Those were quicker, quicker to make anyway. So, yeah. Uh, also... Um, they're struggling to find links to my music. I mentioned being in bands and an album I made and I'd love to hear it. Thank you very much. I'll put a link to, I think probably Spotify and a direct download in there. Um, I, you know, I'm both like super proud and kind of embarrassed about that. Cause like, uh, I love the music. I wrote it because I wanted to hear it. No disrespect. I just, you know, that's why I spent the time doing that. Not to like have other people think they liked it. I, I mean that in the most positive way possible. Um, but also the, the album recording didn't go the way I wanted. It's not the way my guitar normally sounds. It's all of these things that if you're a music listener, you totally don't give a shit about. But if you're a music creator, especially if you're a, you know, a guitarist that has a sound they love, you probably like just got chills and cringed a little bit when I said that, cause you went through that too. So, um, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it had the potential to be something pretty big and awesome. And then just as things do in life, it didn't work out the way I had hoped. Uh, but I am absolutely going to finish album two if I live long enough to, because <laughs> it's 99% written, uh, and there's some of my favorite songs that are not yet out there yet. So I want to finish it at some point. I just have to find the time to do it, because time is absolutely the time, space, and I guess cash are probably, the in that order, the three things that I'm limited most on. So I'll... Uh, I'll try my best to get that, but I'll drop a link in the description for anybody that's curious about that stuff. Louis Cezaron wants to know if I could think of a way to determine if a composite or S-video signal is PAL, NTSC, or CCAM. They have a few CRTs which will show you signal info in RF mode, but not in AV mode. So that's interesting because my little 8-inch BVM that I have here for testing will show PAL or NTSC, I think, Um, and I'm pretty sure my other PVM will as well. So I would check your PVMs and see, uh, I think, I remember you had a few of them, I believe. So I would try those, but let's just assume for a minute that you don't have a CRT or anything like that. You could try to pick up a RetroTank product and then use it through a capture card to see how it detects the signal. Um, but then you would also need a capture card compatible with all of them because none of the RetroTinks convert signal. It just passes it through. So PAL comes out as PAL, NTSC is NTSC. I've never tried CCAM through it. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think I'm going to have to mostly defer to the comments on this one. Does anybody have a cool idea for this other than try and find a CRT that'll tell you? 
Uh, I really got nothing. That's a pretty good question. I mean, the only other thing you could do is buy uh, a PAL capture card, an NTSC capture card, and a CCAM capture card, some cheap composite thing that, heck, even if it treats 240p as 480i, whatever, but plug it in. If it doesn't work on number one, plug it into number two. If it doesn't work on number two, plug it to three. If it works on three, poof, number three, CCAM, so it's a CCAM. But that all depends on cost. If you could find old USB capture cards like that for 10 bucks each, that might be a pretty easy way to do it, but if you have to go hunting for old equipment that's a lot of money, forget it. Josh Dilley said that they recently tried an original PlayStation 1 game through their PlayStation 3, and it looked pretty bad. Any tips on cleaning up the picture? So I had the exact same experience pretty much every time I tried that, and there's a few things to worry about. First, if it's 480i, you're going to worry about the deinterlacing done in the PS3, which I don't I don't remember ever testing a 480i PS1 game, but so that might be a factor. But even with standard 240p games, I remember playing Castlevania Symphony of the Night through that, and using the disc, it looked terrible. Getting the PlayStation Network download looked much better, but using an original PlayStation 1 through the open-source scan converter looked infinitely better than both of those options. The sharpness was way better. Um, so... I think maybe when people were talking about playing PlayStation 1 games and having them look good on a PS3, they might have been talking about games with 3D graphics and using some kind of... I, I believe the PS3 has filtering on there that you could turn on. So that could be part of it. Maybe it looks better for games with 3D graphics because it smooths it out, whereas games that benefit from 2D graphics wouldn't. Um, I would try to check that filter as well to see if that's the issue with yours. Um, but that's pretty much it. I mean, I would I would just double check that it's not a 480i game just as a test. Uh, I would also double check that any filter in the settings is turned on or off. And after that, though, um, it might just be that it's not going to look the way that you'd hoped. I mean, I guess if you had an OSSC, you could try running the PlayStation 3 in uh, 480p mode through the OSSC or something, but I think that softness is still going to be there from the original image. So it might just be something that you'd have to either deal with and maybe even enjoy on 3D games, but not have a fix on 2D games. I'm always uh, I'm always open to any other ideas, but everybody who's talked to me about this, um, I've tried everything they've said, and I never got just putting discs in to look good with 2D-based games on it. Monty wanted to follow up on a problem we were talking about a while back on their CPS2 not working, and it seems like reseeding the A and B board and then touching up some of the soldering from the HDMI wire runs and then resetting the audio seemed to fix the issue. So those are all tips that I would recommend if anybody has a problem with that setup. So first and foremost, anybody with a CPS2 that has issues or weird artifacts on screen, carefully take it all out uh, or take it all apart. Maybe hit it with compressed air if it's dusty or something. Maybe take this opportunity to replace the fan if you haven't already because those things are loud. Um, put it all back together and make sure it's a snug connection. There was a few times I really had to squeeze the plastic to get both boards mated together properly. Uh, and then if you're doing the HDMI stuff, um, make sure your wire runs are as short as possible. Use the shielded coax cable on that one line that Marcus recommended. Um, and those are basically just tips for any installation like this. But yeah, my, my CPS2 board is so temperamental. But once it's in, it's been perfect. It was just once I had to take it apart to um, to update the flash on it for the Darksoft Multi or to re or reflash the newest firmware on the CPS HDMI, putting it back together is when I had all those issues. But once I got it nice and snug, it was fine. So yeah, I guess those are just basic tips for that. Outer Zevin said, we talk about power supplies for consoles, but what about replacement batteries for controllers that have internal rechargeable batteries, like the DualShock 3 and 4? Has anyone started working on a replacement solution to those? Um, I haven't heard of anything, but I also haven't heard of too many bad battery replacements. I've certainly seen original batteries and things like the PSP blow up um, and... Uh, both, you know, literally, you know, pop and most of them expand at least. So you need to replace those. But I think most people that I know of have just bought cheap replacements and and I don't think they've had major issues. But please don't hold me to that. Um, you might want to research it a little bit. Daniel Adato chimed in and said, I fix it has a replacement battery for the DualShock 3. Uh, installation was easy. Um, so that might be a good recommendation. But my honest answer to your question is I have no clue. 
Uh, and it might be because I'm, I'm ignorant to the problem, or it might be because it's not as big of an issue as power supplies. People have just been able to find decent battery replacements. So that's why you haven't seen too much news about it, because you just jump on Amazon or something, grab a replacement and use that one. Uh, but once again, this is all speculation. I, I'm not an expert in the battery stuff. So uh, if anybody has any thoughts on that, please feel free to chime in. Jason Guffey said they replaced a bunch of capacitors in their original Xbox that had started to leak. Uh, didn't seem to damage the motherboard, so they were able to replace the capacitors in time. However, they accidentally put one of the new caps in backwards and even powered on the console. Didn't seem to do anything bad, but they kind of want to know what to do now. So that's a common mistake people make. Um, I've seen capacitors pop as a result of that. Uh, so I would remove the one that you put in backwards and replace it with another one. Um, you said there's a slight bulge on it. So even uh, I think if you had left the console powered on, it probably would have popped. Um, but as far as I know, everything's fine. Replace that capacitor with another one. Make sure it's aligned properly. And the motherboard and the other caps and everything else should be 100% good to go after that. Um, and if there is a problem after that, my gut would tell me that it's a coincidence and something else went wrong. It's not as a result of this. It would be different if you turned it on, you heard a pop and the console turned off. But it seemed, if you said it was working fine and you were able to flip it back around and now it's working, everything should be fine. But I would replace that cap because if it started to bulge, that's, that's either going to leak out or it's just not going to last nearly as long as it would have. Um, but you should be completely safe. Uh, also, uh, Jason commented about some, some funny and silliness. Um, that's a story for another time, but, uh, absolutely. We'll tell that at some point. I'll probably need a few beers and Voltar with me just so we could all enjoy the laugh together. But, but yeah, it's always, always fun time when, uh, when Voltar and I get together and start teasing each other always puts a smile on my face. Daniel Adato said that they were watching the My Life in Gaming video about the RetroTINK 5X and saw that they hooked up the PSTV via an HDMI to component converter and then ran it through the TINK 5X. And they were wondering if that's something that any other console would benefit from. And in my opinion, it all depends on your target TV and what you're trying to do with it. <clears throat> Excuse me. So one example would be uh, GameCube, if you're using something like a Prism going from an HDMI to component converter, then you could put it through the RetroTINK 5X, and if your TV could handle 1440p, you'd get a pretty nice look to that right there. Um, also, things like the PlayStation 3, which I know you, know you could just use component output of that, but I've definitely used that to add scan lines to just Blu-rays and DVDs, which I thought looked pretty neat depending on the movie. It's still just horizontal lines. You know, I still think a full CRT mask would be cooler, but um, it definitely added to the experience, especially if old TV shows and old movies with lots of noise on screen. I thought that was really, really cool. Um, and, you know, same thing if you're doing any modern consoles that you want scan lines on, uh, you know, putting it to 480p should be okay. Um, but overall, it's it's something that I would just recommend trying out. Those converters are so cheap. Uh, I already linked to it once in the description, so just scroll up and, uh, you know, you should be able to see it. But, you know, they're 20 bucks, and it's a tool in your toolbox that you could use for a whole bunch of different things. And your setup apparently is similar to mine, where you plug in everything as needed. So just to add a couple more things to, you know, to your, to your table and hook all this stuff should be pretty painless just remember to connect or, or to do things like if you're going to do your switch set it to 480p first so you're not trying to send 1080p through the retro tank and stuff like that but i think it's worth messing with just because the worst thing that could happen is you don't really like it you throw that 20 dollar converter in your drawer and now you have a tool that you don't use that much best thing that could happen is you find a combination that you really benefit from and you're glad that you did it. So if you don't mind spending 20 bucks on a toy that might end up being just a tool you leave in a box, then I think it's worth it. Also, they said, P.S., the second they got their RetroTINK 5X, they pr promptly butterfingered it and dropped it five feet onto their tile floor and it was fine. I did the same thing the day that I was shooting the final footage for it. And when I saw that leave my hand and go flying towards the ground, my heart stopped. It was like slow motion in the movies. It was like the Matrix, where as soon as I left it, and I actually have quick reflexes, especially for a fat guy. And I, I went to grab it, but I was also holding a whole bunch of other stuff, so I couldn't reach all the way. And it hit and 
just the right way that there wasn't a scratch on it. I imagine if it hit in a totally different angle, I could have cracked something or the case could have popped. But nope, I, I got lucky too. Uh, and, you know, I've had that happen with phones where, you know, it takes a, a pretty brutal fall and there barely is even a scratch on it. And I've had a, a phone fall two and a half feet and shatter the screen. So I'm happy to hear that you got lucky and it didn't break. I'm also happy that I didn't ruin the only fully cased uh, RetroTank 5X I had right before I was shooting B-roll for the video. <laughs> so uh, good luck with it. And uh, hopefully the converter stuff would work well. Well, that's it for this week. If you're new to these Q&As, please ask any question you have wherever it is that you support in the newest Q&A post. So it's just kind of hard to go back and figure out which of the older posts have new comments and all that stuff. Plus, I really enjoy just scrolling through and answering questions in that order like that. So if you wouldn't mind uh, any question you have, just post wherever the latest post is, wherever you support, and I will try to get to it. Uh, I don't think I, I usually miss them. I think I only skip the ones that are statements, uh, which I do appreciate follow-up and stuff like that too so don't don't stop posting those but yeah uh, any actual question you have if i do skip it uh, it's always by accident it's always either accidentally deleted in post or i just scrolled over the question so just re-ask next week if i miss it but anyway as always thank you so much to everybody who supports in any way as it is you who is keeping all of this stuff alive so thank you all so much and i'll see you next week